Hi, this is your CyberPath. We're the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job. I'm Kip Boyle, and Wes Schreiner is here, and we're experienced hiring managers of cybersecurity professionals. So uh, this episode is available as an audio-only recording. If you want to get into your favorite podcast app and uh, search for us, Your CyberPath Podcast And of course, we're on YouTube now. We've got our own YouTube channel. We invite you to check it out because you can see the visuals that we're sharing. You can see our faces. It's really cool. Just go to YouTube and search for your CyberPath podcast and you should go right to our channel. Um, So this uh, is a series of episodes that's designed to tell you all about the way that cybersecurity organizations are put together because we're thinking that if you've never worked in a cybersecurity organization before, how can you possibly be expected to know how it's put together, what the different job opportunities are? And so we want you to know all about that. Today, we're going to focus on the security operations organizational unit. And we're going to tell you all about that. And we're going to do that with the help of a guest. Wes, would you please introduce Steve? Kip, it's a good day. It's good to be here. Um, I am excited to be to be into 2021 and and uh, uh, all that is to come. Uh, today we get to talk with Steve Winterfeld. Uh, introducing Steve, he's out of Denver, Colorado. He has some uh, experience in multiple industries: some government, some some retail, uh, and uh, let's see, some energy department as well. So he's been a lot of places. He's written several books, and uh, I'm really excited to have him here. So Steve, can you tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself and your career? Thanks for being here, Steve. Yeah, I, and I'm excited to be here. This is, a, this is an important topic and uh, always good to get back. So, yeah, I uh, I ended up coming into security as a, as a passion. You know, back uh, when we started, there were no classes, there were no university. No, there were not. Uh, certifications and, and everything was just RTFM. Um, and so my personal passion ended up turning into my job. Um, I was getting out of the military and um, my second job opportunity basically was to stand up a computer emergency response team, more commonly known as a security operations center, a SOC. So I did that for the army as a contractor. So hmm. um, really kind of jumped into the deep end there. Steve, I'm prior military as well. Thank you for your service. Same. So uh, that's how you got started with your cybersecurity career. You've got uh, a couple books you've written. Uh, specifically, it looks like cyber warfare and basics of cyber warfare. How did you get? Uh, how did you move into those topics? What's the story there? So I'm I'm probably the only person that I've run into that accidentally ended up publishing a book. <laughs> So like accidentally rear-ending the, the driver in front of you like that? <laughs> Basically, I was doing acquisition editing. I was advising people, uh, publishers, on, on what books would sell in cybersecurity, mm-hmm. uh, reviewing the topics outline. And, you know, and I figured that's about the amount of time I had. Um, so I was doing that as, as a part-time job and, and still hope to do that as my second career. Um, and then they called me back and they said, you know, the one book that you said the author may not have, you know, the broadest set of skills for this, we think you would be a great co-author. And so um, I was like, well, tell you what, let me, let me talk to this person. 
Well, they lived a couple miles away from me. We got along great. Uh, and we ended up writing those two books together. Um, and, and it was just a passion of mine, both the topic and, and um, the ability to, to write something. It was phenomenal. How long did it take you to get the manuscript, the first draft? So interestingly <laughs> enough, uh, it, it was six months to get it out. Um, I would have been on chapter one six months later, <laughs> and he would have written every one of his chapters in a week. So we were a perfect blend of keeping each other's quality and speed online. Perfect. <laughs> I've spent some time with Jason, and I can guarantee the two of you make an odd couple. <laughs> Well, we got to get Jason on the guest list then, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just leave that one there. All right. So, Steve, what are you up to now? What uh, What are you doing these days? So I actually had a chance, you know, after a, a career of building multiple, you know, four different security operations centers, doing compliance for things like Global Hawk Unmanned Aerial Vehicle um, through both the DOD compliance and FAA compliance. Uh, I don't recommend anybody do that. It's not fun. Um, but after doing all those programs, I had a chance to come over to Akamai and help build tools that other people will use to uh, build their programs. So now I'm the advisory CISO at Akamai, looking at what pain points we should be solving and how our current capabilities are doing. Customer facing then? Yes, very much so. Oh, that's good stuff. I like that. Cool. Making our world a better place. I appreciate that. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead here, uh, but as we jump ahead, I got to tell you the farm story, Kip, because we oh yeah we can't make it without a farm story. Well, you got the flannel shirt on, so you might as well. <laughs> I heard it was a blue shirt club today, and I needed to fit in somehow. <laughs> okay, so, Farmer West, what you got? <laughs> uh, what I got is it is the middle of winter. It's not yet Valentine's Day here in in Washington State, and that means it's time to prune your apple trees. If you've got an apple tree, it's time to cut it back. And I, I want to talk about apple trees for just a second. There are two different kinds of branches on an apple tree. The branches that grow sideways on an apple tree are growing out. And those are the branches that are going to produce flowers and then ultimately fruit. You're going to get a lot of fruit out of those horizontal uh, new buds, new branches. When you have a branch that's going straight up, that's called uh -huh. a sucker. Oh and man, I can just, uh, I can see where this is going already. Just by the branches name. that go straight up are suckers and they take the energy and life out of the tree. You actually get less fruit if you leave the suckers on the tree. In in fact, if those suckers continue to grow year over year, uh, they will one day produce horizontal branches that will then grow fruit, but that fruit will be too high to reach and the birds will get it all. Or worse yet, the bears will climb your tree and break the lower branches on their way to the upper branches. Holy Either way, uh, it's I've never thought about any of this. I've never thought about any of this, Wes. This, this stuff is, fantastic. is not good for your tree. So uh, <laughs> if you've got suckers on your apple tree, you've got to cut them off because they're running and sucking the energy out of the rest of the tree. And I, since we're talking about careers and organizations, I, I want to think about that from a career perspective as well, right? If you've got climbers in an organization that go straight up and don't have a chance to learn and grow at each level on their way up, they, they may be taking energy out of your organization and they may not be contributing to the fruit that you actually get to get to appreciate from your org. So if you're between jobs right now, you don't have to go straight up. In fact, it might really benefit you to go sideways 
and, and be able to produce fruit and, and flower and grow and, and become a, a productive ranch before you move up. So, so, so do you actually call them suckers at work? You know, the ones that are just going, I do not, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I bet you don't recommend anybody else does, right? <laughs> I am not going there, my friend. That doesn't end well. All okay, right. Okay, so that okay. is today's farm metaphor. Thank you for joining me for that one. I'm going to remind it's you. It's all about low hanging fruit. That's what you need to take. That's the takeaway. <laughs> Those farm metaphors are true. And low hanging fruit is absolutely one of them. Well, <laughs> there's many others. Although for the for an organization, you don't want your cybersecurity organization to be the low hanging fruit. So the analogy <laughs> changes good to bad depending on what you're talking about. Points for Steve. All right. Well, I'm going to remind you that this is the placemat we're using to understand the cybersecurity organization. Remember, we've got four parts of our organization: the security operations, the engineering, architecture, and test, governance, risk, compliance, and then product security. We have spent the last three episodes looking at test uh, governance, risk, compliance, and product security. Today, we get to deep dive into security operations. This is, this is the heart and soul of your security organization. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm sorry I'm talking fast, but this is the interesting part, and I'm excited. So uh, it's going to be auctioneer night. Um, that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> Let's, Let's jump in. Here's the, here's the focus. We're going to leave the other parts of the org behind and focus specifically on security operations. Those specific operations are the teams that make that up. We've got our incident uh, response team. We've got our security operations center, a digital forensics, forensics function. We've got in our security tools, a tools team, an automation team, and identity and access management team. Yes, that's intentionally crossed over between tools and lights on operations because there is really a crossover there. There's also a network and firewall function and, and shared security services. Now, uh, not all of these are always in a security organization. Sometimes your network and firewall live in, a, in an IT infrastructure team, and that's just fine. This isn't intended to direct or, or impose, but if you do have a network and firewall responsibility, then it's probably gonna be in a lights on operations inside your security operations function. How am I doing there, Steve? Would you, would you or, or Kip, would you guys add or change any of that as a layout? So I think, you know, one of the keys here is, is this is a fairly stereotypical way to look at things. Um, <laughs> That's Wes, stereotypical. <laughs> not going there, man. So many things to say. Nope, not going to do it. <laughs> trying to protect different business models. And a different business model may force them into a different organization. But it's key to learn this one because all those functions are going to be the same no matter how they or, are organized. And it's also interesting to think through kind of as you go towards the left half of this slide, these are people doing analysis. As you go more towards the right side of this slide, these are people building things. Now, there, there's certainly overlap there, but as you think about where your passions are, just kind of think of that as, as a guiding post. <laughs> That's awesome. Steve dropping the truth bombs on us at the beginning of the episode. Love it. So folks, that's all we have for today. I guess uh, I guess we got it. <laughs> We're going to call it good early. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, let, let's take those reusable, uh, the security service catalog, and let's go a little deeper on that. We've got eight services in our cybersecurity service catalog. Uh, common services. There may be more, there may be less, but we're going we're gonna to count these eight today. The first one here is security inquiries. That happens 
with your SOC and your incident response team and your security operations function, what would be an example of a security inquiry we might get? Uh, maybe one is, uh, hey, my computer's behaving funny. What should I do? Or, or I clicked on an email and I shouldn't have. Or, or, or you might get one from your executive that says, hey, there's a company over there that just got bit with a, a, a major vulnerability. And uh, we want to know if we are vulnerable to that also. Right? Those are all inquiries that might come into your, uh, your security inquiries. Actually, I think there's a fun race condition that also happens. Uh, if your users, if, you've got, if you got bit by ransomware and your organization is starting to, to, to be encrypted and, and to fall in, in order, uh, it would be a really interesting tabletop exercise, but not very much fun in real life to figure out whether or not your user reporting will get to you faster than your automated alerting. Which one's going to tell you you have an incident first? Uh, oftentimes, security inquiries is going to be the place where you're going to hear about it first. And I, I think one of the ways you can think about it is they're an indicator of compromise. And some of them are, are going to be false positives. They're not going to be a real incident. Some are going to actually grow into, into like you said, maybe uh, ransomware or an external distributed denial service attack. You know, you have an access issue. Uh, some of them may be, you know, hey, this, this other company is a third party we use. They were breached. What's impact to us? Mm. You know, and then the other extreme you're going to see in this is probably our data was compromised. Our customer information, our proprietary intellectual property, we lost something that's going to impact our revenue. And ultimately, everything we're talking about here is protecting our revenue. And so as we talk through these, uh, it's interesting. Everything I just described, everything leading towards the left, you're going to be working when the incident happens at 4.30 on Friday on a holiday weekend. If you work on the right half, you have a chance of maybe not working through that weekend. So these are intense jobs. These are fully committed jobs. These jobs are going to come with not necessarily nine to five. These are very much the scrappy and hungry jobs, right? I think I was working with you when I got the phone call on the 4th of July at 10 o'clock at night, and I had to walk off the dock and leave the family there so I could go in and, and handle the, the incident response, right? Ed, it's intense. I love it. It's There's energy you're the one protecting the company. Uh, you're on the front lines. You're the, you know, my military background is leaking out here. But you're <laughs> the point of the spear. And it makes a difference. So if you want to be in this point of the spear, this is where you should be. And if you're a technical resource who wants to spend some time in security or make a career out of security, you do need to make a stop in this part of the organization as you learn and grow. It takes a very special kind of person to stay here long term, though. This is a very hard uh, hardened kind of job. That's why we have Steve on the episode, right? Because that's what you've done, Steve. Right? You're a lifer. You're a security ops lifer. Uh, I have done this for. This is the first job I've been in that that I wasn't on uh, either for for Thanksgiving, Christmas, or New Year's on an ops call. So, yeah, this is this has been. But like I said, I mean, it makes a difference if you want to be in the fight. This is where you should be. But your well, family so didn't know what to do with you. Uh, his family's grown. He's got some beautiful <laughs> kids who are all uh, citizens in this world, and it's tremendous. 
and his wife loves him. And, and that's a good thing because when you're in incident response in security operations, you're going to get the calls on the holidays. The bad guys know that IT went home for the three-day weekend. And they use that as their opportunity and they're in. No one's checking yeah. that alert on, on Thanksgiving. And Steve is, right? And, yep. and security operations are. He's, he didn't he didn't say anything to that. So <laughs> it's like, that's pretty much he it. He must man. be agreeing. Holidays are our are, are, are favorite attack days. Yep. Yep. As I said, Friday, 4:30 on a long weekend. That's when it hits. So let's talk about monitoring security events. That's the next thing. So we talked about first people call in and say, hey, there's something weird. Now, now I'm looking at my single pane of glass in my security operations center. I am the, the 5 a.m. to 2 p.m. morning shift guy, and I got an alert. Uh, I've got uh, an alert that says, hey, there's something wrong in, in this machine over in my production environment, right? Uh, the network card is pegged at 100%, and it shouldn't be. Why is that, right? And now I'm, I'm a skilled security operations center uh, uh, analyst, a SOC analyst, and I am going to, to check other logs of related systems. I'm going to check uh, logs of that system. And, and ideally, I've been able to script that. So I can, I can uh, run my script kitty uh, and pull six pieces of information about that server in, in seconds and be able to see, uh-oh, that network card is pegged because data is leaving my organization at a high rate of speed, right? That's the, that's the alerting that I want to be watching for. And, and if I've got some thresholding in there, thresholding means uh, that alert has to happen for six seconds before I tell somebody, right? Uh, uh, or eight seconds or whatever that threshold is for, okay, I can peg it for 10 seconds and not tell anybody. But when it gets to 11, throw the alert. Do you want to say something to that? I would say a couple things, um, and the first is, if you're in a large, mature organization, you're going to be following processes. You're going to be using tools that automate steps in, in that process. Um, you know, if you're in a more heavily regulated industry, they, you are going to be draconically following processes. Um, but you're going to be doing research and analysis and getting on Google and figuring out what that you know snippet of code means. Now, if you're in a much smaller organization, then you're a jack of you know all trades. You're you're basically going to have to do a lot without automation on your own, a lot more research, a lot more intent. So there, there's a kind of a benefit. If you want to learn everything, smaller shops are great. Mm -hmm. If you want to be part of a team that follows processes and, and you're doing a lot, then large organizations are great. Yeah, I think the, the, the thing that some people trip up on though is they figure if I go join a large uh, organization, you know, I'm gonna have all these run books. All I need to know is how to, you know, use a run book, right? And I've seen a lot of, a lot of people trying to get into the career field make that mistake. They're like, oh, I don't need to know all that because, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be covered. But I, I tell them, I'm like, don't be so sure. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that, right, Steve? Where, you know, like somebody takes a call in the sock and somebody's on the other end is like, help, help. The, the web servers are all under a DDoS attack. And then, like, there's no critical thinking <laughs> about whether that's really what's going on or not. 
if there's no critical thinking, those are the steps we said got automated. You know, the, the part where we have a person is a part where I need critical thinking. I need somebody to do analysis and figure out what the next step is. It may be another automated process. It may be alerting the CISO that you have a compromise. And so, you know, a lot of responsibility there. So now we're going to make the transition. We, uh, we have an event, and I want to define some terms here for you. A security event is anything that happens that needs to be looked at uh, to decide if it's real or not. Once I have that event and determined that there's something there, I'm going to declare an incident. Uh, please don't call an incident and an event the same thing. You have to grow up an event in order to be one day called an incident. You may have multiple events that become one incident, and the incident response function is the third one we're going to talk about. That may begin in your SOC, but once it's called an incident, it moves to your CERT, your, your incident response team. It's assigned an incident responder, uh, and you very much are following uh, uh, a MITRE attack framework of, of, of containment and, and restoration of service. So the MITRE attack framework is, is a great model. Um, and just like this is a framework, uh, it is a framework worth understanding. It really lays out all the possible threat vectors and allows you to talk in, in a quantified way. Because you know one of the challenges and the reason he explained the difference is we don't have a governing body for terms. And so the MITRE ATT&CK framework, this framework that uh, we're sharing today, these are to get everybody talking in the same language with the same definitions and that's critical. It is. It is, I do wanna call out, and I'm sorry I missed it on the earlier one, uh, if you want to be a SOC analyst, probably the most cool school, uh, skill you can bring to the table is Python scripting, right? Because you're going to be automating as much as you can along the way. If not Python scripting, maybe a, another scripting language uh, that gets you to a place where you can automate as many of your tasks as possible. In career path language, you can go from, and I think the SOC is a great place to start. Incident responder is really that excellent career path forward from SOC, right? The, the top SOC analysts move into incident response. Anything about career pathing there? I think you're on it. Uh, I think it is, it's a natural step in the evolution because it requires um, more experience uh, and critical thinking, um, but is, is foundationally the similar skill set. As we move into digital forensics, that's a different and more unique skill set. Uh, and it's also a different mentality. You know, forensics is, is more about proving what happened and the way I think about it in a way that can be turned over for HR to take an action or produced in a court of law in a post-breach class action lawsuit. And, and it's a very disciplined group. If there's ever a place that you must follow process to the nines, it's going to be the digital forensics function. Uh, many of the smaller companies don't even try and do digital forensics in-house because do I really have a security engineer so skilled in digital forensics that they can be deposed on a witness stand and, and be effective? Well, can they even remember how to fire up the tool? You know, I mean, if you don't do it very often, you're going to be like, uh, how does that go again? 
So yeah, I mean, when I was CISO, we weren't big enough to justify having somebody on the team and paying the license fees for the the kits and yeah. So that was a hundred percent right. The FPK that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we, we yeah. definitely have, as far as salaried, taken a step up with each one of these discussions. We have. That is a, a career direction. We did skip over uh, security countermeasures, and that wasn't intentional, but there's not a lot there. This is an emerging area for security organizations and security operations. This is, I would argue, it's called hackback, right, or, or, or counterattacking, and and. Threat attribution is a very difficult thing to do in our enterprise, especially when if they're skilled enough to get into your organization, they're skilled enough to convince you that it came from someone else, right? And so uh, security countermeasures is a growing field, but one that is mired with legal accountability and and really unclear what the laws are in, in that space for each location that does it. Oh, yeah. Uh, The term of art that I'm familiar with these days is active defense. And there's quite a bit of material uh, on the open Internet about, you know, what is active defense? And very, 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 um, very concisely, I'll just try to say that it's a continuum of stuff that's, you know, a little bit more active than just passive defenses. Uh, And then on the other side of that continuum is is, you know, like data rescue missions and and botnet takedowns and that sort of stuff. And that's where it gets really, you know, that's where the legality is like really gray and you don't want to do anything without law, uh, you know, without an attorney guiding you and liaisoning with government, FBI, whomever, right? So it's a continuum. You can go look it up. It's fascinating. Um, there's stuff being done uh, all the time these days. Steve, do you have any experience with active defense? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's it's a big part of cyber warfare. Uh, so I have a chapter on it. Um, <laughs> Tell us. It is something that typically is a nation state level activity. Mm. Uh, you know, this last year we saw both DHS and companies like Microsoft doing you know some of those active takedowns. Um, law enforcement is is getting much more aggressive trying to do some of this. Um, but but let's talk about uh, attribution. You know, if you're going to do some kind of a countermeasure, you have to identify who you're doing it against. You know, the mm-hmm. military wants a grid coordinate so they can take kinetic action. Law enforcement wants to know the actual. They want a street address so they can pound the door down. <laughs> law enforcement wants to know whose fingers are on the keyboard. And then, you know, we want to just know where the server is. And so depending on who you are, this means a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, one of the active defenses that I that I have seen um, some people playing around with, which I think is pretty interesting, is is just putting like a, like a, a bug, a web bug in a in a Word doc. Um, that way, whenever you, you know, whoever opens it up, if they're not being ultra cautious, that web bug is going to execute silently and can do all kinds of things like, you know, uh, read the IP address and send it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can also do more sophisticated things like it can uh, attempt to uh, issue uh, queries for SSIDs and then run that back through a database lookup to try to figure out where in the world this, uh, this doc was opened it. And that's how you find Carmen San Diego. <laughs> I've heard a lot of companies call that beaconing. Yep. Another common term for that. 
Uh, beaconing and watermarking are are a couple ways people are trying to figure out maybe where a leak happened. That's right. Something in the future. Yeah. If, if you want to stay out of trouble and do something simple that you can do inside your organization, you might look at at trapping them in a sinkhole, right? Where where it's a virtual environment, a virtual playground that that the the attacker ends up exploring and isn't aware that it is it is not your your core enterprise. Well, we also you call could, that a honeypot, right? Thank you. Well, it's more than a honeypot. It's a it's a full virtual network in some cases. So there's honeypot, honey net, and now there's this deception uh, technology. And and the latest de- uh, definition I've heard is vendors offering deception capabilities. Uh, the only thing I would highlight is if you do go out and build your own honeypot and somebody uses your honeypot to attack someone else, mm. you could be liable. So if you're, and I encourage everybody to build a home lab, to experiment at home, to do this. Uh, I often hire people uh, based on how they answer the question, do you have a lab at home? Do you do this on your own? How do you learn? And and people that tell me about their home network and and you know their own uh, cyber range that they're they're attacking themselves are impressive candidates. Yep. Yeah. Those Thank are the same people validating. who are making money on a bug bounty too, right? If they've made a couple dollars doing bug bounty, they're finding vulnerabilities and reporting them. Chip, did you have something there? I'm just vigorously agreeing. <laughs> well done. Yeah, well, we are in violent agreement. Outstanding. The blue shirt team agrees. So we go to the next item, which is uh, really this continuous automation and security tools functions. uh, And that's called operate security tools. Uh, What would be the examples of security tools? It it may be your antivirus, right? If I'm going to run antivirus as an organization, it's probably going to be run from operating security tools team, right? If I've got an endpoint detection and response, it's going to run from here. any of my security monitoring functions. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that as the setup there. You know, I will say that uh, at Akamai, I've talked to large international bank that has over 200 different security tools. Wow. Yeah, this, this can be large and complex. Uh, I would say a mid-range company could have between 50 to 75 Um, The other thing to think through carefully, and, you know, um, Wes talked about this earlier. It's a great point uh, as far as what skills you need. A lot of companies are moving away from deploying a data loss prevention server and and different kind of servers. Hmm. And they're moving into uh, DevOps and a term called DevSecOps, where... You know, you're putting out just a, a function or a snippet of code in a serverless environment. If you were using AWS, something like Lambda. And that requires a different operational security group, different set of skills. So this is a very dynamic and in transition area. Kip? Oh, man. Uh, I got I to gotta confess that... Uh, I don't know a whole lot about this changeover. Um, the customers that I'm working with these days tend to be smaller, and so they don't have their own sec DevOps team. So, um, but I find it fascinating, absolutely fascinating, these changes. So, yeah, Steve, those teams that have 200 
uh, or even 50 uh, security tools, what percentage of those are actually deployed and in use for their intended purpose, right? Uh, security has a really bad habit of buying shelfware, right? When we buy that shelfware, we, we see it, we had to spend the budget at the end of the year because it's a use it or lose it situation. And then we never had the time to deploy it or, or the deployment plan and project that was scheduled got, got uh, backburnered because some money-making project took its place instead, right? And then we have to make some decisions. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep jumping here because I'm excited about the topic, right? <laughs> uh, the other challenge is, do we want to buy, uh, uh, do we want to build the tools or do we want to buy them? And if we buy the tools, do we want to buy a single vendor and, and own the whole stack or do we want to buy best of breed for each tool we're purchasing. And, and I would argue that many of our current purchasing RFP processes prefer best of breed, best of price, whereas an integrated stack of servers might uh, services may give us a better team. Do you wanna, do you have some thoughts on that? So I'm gonna try to roll my answers right behind your questions here. <laughs> so the first part is, you know, um, you buy a tool based on a gap in your security portfolio. You have a risk. You need to mitigate that risk. You buy a tool to do it. Um, when you deploy that, uh, so you deploy that. prevention only to stop credit cards going out of your company. So you are now using 10% of the capabilities of that tool. So that's, you know, that's, that's not uncommon. Um, you, you then six months later have not updated that to the latest version. So now you're getting technical debt because you have 75 tools and, and you're laughing about technical debt. Cause I used to beat you about that all the time. <laughs> technical debt is the debt. I mean, cause technical debt basically neutralizes your security controls. And then how much time are you spending in vendor management versus security? And so, you know, there are a lot of frameworks out there that, that the analysts put out. And one of the recent ones came out by Gartner and it was just reinforced because uh, Forrester put out its version. And these are, are two analytical firms that put out a lot of information about security capabilities. Um, great things to go see where you can uh, read the, the kind of things we're talking about. What I'm going to talk about is called SASE. It is the uh, Secure Access Service Edge. You can mm -hmm. go to a lot of vendors and download that white paper because they're offering it free because it's one of the things they provide. Akamai, I didn't say my name, Akamai. And so when we do this. <laughs> <laughs> well done. And, and the reason this is catching on is it's about vendor consolidation for both connectivity and security. And if you can get, you know, 20 features or 20 tools in one vendor, that's much easier. And so I think the trend is away from best athlete and towards best teammate. Hmm. Away from best athlete and towards best teammate. So far, that's the quote of the day. If we get better, we'll call it out. But but that's, okay. Okay. that's the winner okay. so far. Let me, I want to just add one more thought for those of you who are job seeking. Please remember that what we're showing you here is a large 
organization, like the representation of what it looks like in a large org. And this conversation about tools, when you're in a medium-sized shop or a small-sized shop, they're going to probably lean towards integrated solutions rather than best of breed, simply because of staffing and budget constraints. And when you're doing best of breed, you have to do a lot of systems integration work and so forth. So I just wanted to add that thought. Call out to Trey Blaylock, who gave me a wonderful beard comb a couple of years ago. <laughs> I want to I want to call out one other thing on the on the operate security tools, and that's that this is an excellent, excellent place for a senior technology person to move into security. Right. This is the kind of area where you're already doing IT operations. You're already doing uh, system build, deploy and, and the whole system management lifecycle. You're already doing IT disciplines, and this is IT disciplines applied mm -hmm. to security tools, Yeah. right? You want to get closer to security from your 20-year DBA job? This is the way to do it. Come on yep. in. The water's warm. Yeah, and you can start just by picking up some additional duties in your current job that are security-oriented and then use that as a, as a leaping point. If you go to the security team and say you want to be their evangelist within the team, they will give you all sorts of responsibility. <laughs> we are overworked and understaffed. Welcome aboard. <laughs> Indeed. Well, we're, we're going to continue moving right from the analyst side and the incident response side and the work all night, all weekend sometimes side towards the IT operations functions on the right-hand side. And that's that's where we get to identity and access management. And this is, uh, uh, this is shown both in security tools and keep the lights on operations because parts of identity are really the security tool because identity is the new firewall, right? I didn't coin it, but I heard it and it's right. So I'm passing it along. That's free. I won't charge you for that one. It's also <laughs> in the keep the lights on operations function because if your identity infrastructure goes down, so does your company. You're not going to be making money if you can't log into a server, if you can't log into your own NT environment. So uh, uh, that identity, if I can't reset my password, uh, I can't go to work that day, right? Uh, and so identity is part of how our business makes money, and that's why it crosses over in the keep the lights on functions. Identity is one of the larger parts of our organization, in part because uh, if, if you've got a larger security organization, then you've also got a larger identity and access management team because you've got compliance requirements like Sarbanes-Oxley that require segregation of duties and least privileged access, which drives you into a role-based access control model, RBAC or RBAC. And that access model takes a little bit more energy in order to, to put into your organization and then to maintain. Oftentimes, many of your tickets are going to be, I need authorization to get to this next thing. They don't say authorization. They say, I can't log into the thing, right? Or I can't see the screen I need. And this identity access management needs to have a quick turnaround provisioning for new hires, job transfers, uh, separations, terminations, and also the, the uh, access, access entitlements that you may need along the way. Thoughts on that? I'm going to call this the unsung hero. <laughs> it truly is because the number of compromises that come back to identity is huge. Mm. And, and Wes talked a lot about identity management of employees 
And most of what we've talked about is protecting the company. But a lot of the things you're getting involved in now are going to be protecting the customer's identity. And, and that can live inside security or outside security, depending on the culture. Uh, but, you know, it is vital to understand, is the right person there? Is the person authorized? Um, did that person leave? And I didn't deprovision them. Um, very complex. What infrastructure am I using? Am I using zero trust, the application level? Am I using micro segmentation VPN, VPN, virtual <laughs> private networks, or am I using you know these these Citric boxes, which just gives you an image? And, and so this is dynamic. It is critical to the company and. Now you've got things like you're making decisions about two-factor off and, and just a fascinating area will continue to grow. Do, uh, what about, you, you gave a list of questions, Steve, that you want to know about when, a, when an account is being used. One thing you didn't say, which I was kind of surprised at, is I would want to know, is this a bot using this account? So it turns out the fact that my dad has one password for everything is, a, <laughs> is bad. And so despite a number of discussions, uh, and, and most of the people on this call, everybody on this call, most of the people watching, we are our family's IT desk already. Mm -hmm. so, so having said that, you know, when my dad's uh, account at a, a retail store is compromised, they now have his username and password, his credentials for his bank. Um, and, and they're just going to put it on this network of systems that just try every possible compromised password against multiple companies. Yeah. And so they try it and, and they hit the right bank and now there's an account takeover. And so both, you know, how do you know it's a bot? How do you know that's unauthorized? Uh, yeah. You know, the, the deeper you get into this, if you're into commerce or, or finance or a lot of these, you're going to learn a lot about fraud. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also going to learn that that little checkbox that says I'm human. Yeah, that's been defeated. Just so you know, because I've seen the YouTube videos of the uh, of the uh, click farms <laughs> supposedly in China where uh, they actually have, you know, little robot arms with little little styluses pecking on those things <laughs> and captcha you know which one mm -hmm. in it has has been defeated and right. some and authentication has been defeated you know that's why you've got to go to the fido2 standards now to make sure you have secure uh the number of sim cards that are compromised more in europe than the u.s now you know your phones are are no longer a security device they were never designed to be one yeah so things change. And I guess, um, you know, that's another takeaway really from all this stuff is that as the adversary improves their methods, as they innovate because we block and then they figure out a new way to come in. I mean, if you're an infinite learner, if you love to learn and you want to, you know, like always be figuring out what's new and next, man, this is the place to be. It really is. And I think this is one of the hottest. Go ahead. <laughs> if you want every day to be the same as every other day, this may not be a good choice. <laughs> Well, and, and I will, I've said it before, the uh, identity infrastructure was listed as number 14 on the top 20 security controls we want to see at, a, at an enterprise. 
and and you had you start with asset inventory and a software asset inventory and and you have to get down to number 14 to get to user inventory and i i i just because I call identity user inventory, right? Because that's really what it is. And and it, it disturbs me that that was number 14. And 10 years ago, that's how we treated it was it's down the list. It's a second class security function. And now identity is emerging, especially with the cloud, as the elite primary security function. If we can get October and the security awareness training month right, then the next thing we need to do is identity and access management because the most vulnerable part of this entire chain is the wetware sitting in the chair. Yeah, I mean, it used to be the firewall. It used to be the lack of a firewall. I remember when there were no firewalls on the internet and everybody needed a firewall. Are you that old? I am that old. Dude, (laughs) when I first started using the internet, it was against the acceptable use policy to sell anything. Now look at where we are. When I started using it on the internet, there were 10 web servers. And I had to download a host's file in order to find any of them. So figure that out, everybody. Good stuff. <laughs> but um, <laughs> back when you, when you were talking about the BOD modem speed, yep. Yeah, absolutely, right? Oh, my gosh. Don't take me back there, the bad old days. I, I much prefer my high bandwidth connection to my house. Thank you very much. I do not want to go back to screechy modem tones. Yikes. I want to leave a couple of keywords here in case somebody's using their Wikipedia and wants to look up and see what else we've got going on in the identity space. If you're doing internal identity, that's probably going to be identity uh, and access management. If you're doing external identity, that's probably going to be called enterprise identity. Usually those are two separate systems. They are not related. Uh, most I've never seen a company do one identity system to handle both internal and external customers. Right. Uh, the internal customers being the lowercase c and the external customers being the paying ones. And those are capital C. Uh, uh, there is all sorts of interesting innovations happening in this space. There are behavioral heuristics that are coming out that are replacing the password. So as long as you walk with the same gait that you normally have and your cell phone is still in your left hand pocket, uh, it is going to let you log in without a password. Right. That's a very interesting direction for uh, passwordless uh, solutions. Uh, your credentials become what you do and how you behave, where you're located, right? Another neat control right now, neat. Wow, I just, that's going to be a fun <laughs> word. I'm going to hear You didn't say later. neato, so you got that, that is going neat. for you. <laughs> <laughs> is some of these biscuits that they hand you and you can use this biscuit or your uh, smart card in order to log into multiple activities. Your smart card might be enterprise or, or company or government issued, but you can carry a YubiKey, and that is uh, that can act as your password, and it's a it's something you have that is you logging in everywhere you go. Uh, yeah, I wish I was in a couple of the war rooms uh, that use facial recognition right after all the masks started being worn, um, is because a lot of passwords suddenly got taken away in public. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? All right, so folks, we're going to hit the gas and try and move a little bit here. We've been talking and having fun. I, I hope you've enjoyed it. But uh, uh, operations are shared security services. Those shared security services might be uh, encryption as a service. They might be uh, a tokenization function in your organization. They might be your your network and firewall functions. Uh, 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 how am I doing? Would you have any other shared security services you want to call out there? Uh, and I think they're varied. I mean, it, it's it's very much by culture. It is 
those things that um, yeah. I don't even know how to categorize it. I think shared service is just those things that don't fit tightly under the CISO. And they end up uh, being functions that any one of six teams could own in the organization. And somehow it ended up being our budget that's funding it. So we can cover that another day. <laughs> let's the let's jump ahead. Things can. can end up in here. Yeah, let's keep going. All right. Uh, so the security operations function is going to have uh, a common set of functions and tools, processes, and standards. I want to call out some of them here. And if you want to dive deeper into them, I would encourage that. Uh, you're probably going to have your SIM for logging and alerting, or or some method of of centralized logging and knowing which logs I need to look at when, right? Even if you're not carrying a SIM, you might carry something uh, uh, something of, of a, a similar capability. Please don't call it a SIEM. It's not a SIEM, it's a SIM. <laughs> That's free. That's uh, free. <laughs> security tools monitoring, we're going to be doing that because uh, we got to keep those tools alive. And that's more about IT operations monitoring. We're going to do sysadmin work. So that's going to be your network administration, your database administration, your, your operating systems, whether you're Windows or Linux or, or something else. We're going to have a lot of scripting. We're going to have forensics toolkit if you're doing your own forensics. And come on, people, we've got to have a ticketing system. You're not allowed to do a whole lot of security work without keeping track of how much work got done and who asked for it. And then how do you integrate that ticketing system across both the network operations center, the security operations center, and, you know, report up to the risk? And, and, and so th these tools have to be integrated and have processes that make them collaborate across to reduce risk as a portfolio. Agreed. In fact, I, I didn't say it earlier, but I want to say it now. Don't buy a tool, people. If you don't have a process and someone doing that process manually, it does not make sense to buy the tool because you're, a tool solution organization is one that looks like it just it got left at the mall with daddy's credit card. It just doesn't <laughs> look good, right? It just is not a healthy organization. All right, so uh, on the processes and standards, since we just kind of prioritized that, uh, we're going to see a lot of 24-7 monitoring in this group. We've talked a little bit about the attack framework. Uh, we're also going to see the NIST. Uh, that's the U.S. standard cybersecurity <laughs> framework that's out there. I, I recommend understanding that one a little bit as well. If you're going to jump into MITRE, jump into NIST as well. I would say NIST, uh, really, almost all the incident response you'll see is based on the NIST lifecycle, detect, respond, remediate, recover. Um, you know, you're you're going to uh, NIST is going to put out documentation on zero trust. So they have they just put out a standard for that. NIST put out a standard for resiliency. Uh, NIST has 853. They just published revision five. So if you thought you knew 853, you no longer do. Um, and so NIST is a huge U.S. Uh, component. If you're looking internationally. Uh, you may end up with ISO 2700 versus That's NIST. But, but this is just a core resource you should understand. It is. It's, it's one I would spend some hours on because uh, uh, it's really fun to read. No, because it's really valuable to know as you step into these roles. 
Uh, ITIL operations is the next one. ITIL is the IT infrastructure library. That's really about how we do IT operations in IT. It's not specific to security, but it is absolutely uh, core to understanding how do we operate, keep the lights on functions in, in the security group. If we don't do that well, our firewalls will go down twice a week for six months straight. They will cost the entire IT team, not just the security team, but the entire IT team, their annual bonus for the year. Mm-hmm. And there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> will there be rending of clothing? <laughs> I mean, just that, you know, many will be out. stricken with grief, right? <laughs> I would like to make a suggestion at this point. One of my favorite books out there is, is the Phoenix project by Gene Kim. Gene Kim does a great job of, of understanding dev operate, dev sec operations, dev operations. But in this case, the Phoenix project is really about how do I do it operations? Well, uh, if I could do my brief commercial for it and he's not paying me yet for this, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting story about a guy who got double promoted out of his head and isn't sure what he's supposed to do next. He, he explores and understands his organizational problems. And as he moves through the problems, you get 10 pages of, of story. And then, wow, in this problem, I sure could use some way to track changes when they go into production. And then you have one page on change management. Here's what change management is. Here's what it does. Here's how it's done. Then you have 10 pages of story wow, if I'm going to have change management, I need some way to track which change goes into production. Here is version control. And you get one page on version control and you move through that. So uh, uh, do recommend the Phoenix Project. It's a fun read and one that helps you understand IT operations. But I will call out the security fella in that book. Oh, that's just wrong. He treats the security guy all wrong. And, and I actually had this conversation with him. We'll take it up another day. But uh, Gene and I have thrown down on what happens to John, the security guy, in his book. We'll, okay, okay. We'll take I, I, gotta, I, can't, I can't resist. I have to tell you something. I, I helped Gene, and there are many other people who helped Gene, but I was a manuscript reviewer for that book, and the original version of John, the security guy, was worse. Oh, no. <laughs> was worse. And I sent him note after note after note saying, tone it down. Nobody's this bad. Nobody. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> So um, that is a great book. The The second book he put out after that, the DevOps Handbook, is, is great. more the how-to. Um, so I, I think they're both a great combination read. Uh, my my handbook is has got three different colors of highlights and is heavily highlighted. That's it's good excellent. stuff. It's good stuff. I will uh, uh, I will leave that there, Kip. Let's come back to that another episode if we get a oh, chance. Because yeah. I think oh, yeah. there's there's, uh, there's you actually there. inspired me on on uh, uh, Doctor McCoy in your story. Ah, uh, but that's that's okay. for another day. We'll talk about yep, Star yep, Trek and for another time. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're we're going we're we're fifty five <laughs> minutes. We've lost our audience. One. The only people listening at this point are my <laughs> wife and your wife. So thank you for sticking with us, ladies. <laughs> we'll keep going here. Uh, so we've got internal security relationships, and and our security operations team is going to be making friends with our incident response functions across the organization. We're going to have vulnerability management partners uh, because every time we want to, if if we get popped in one area, we want to know if that's everywhere. If we've got an indicator of compromise here, we want to know where else those IOCs are, and that scanning team with home management is going to be able to tell us that. 
Uh, our engineering and architecture team is going to take the feedback on what we got popped on recently, and they're going to drive those changes into future builds so we don't get popped on that next year. Our risk management function is going <laughs> to is going to record where we can't fix things right away and we're going to change and drive changes to our policies and standards so that we we have a better next year because of the, the things we learned this year. And all this done in a way that it is auditable and provable. Mm. Indeed. Indeed. Jumping ahead, we've also got common enterprise partners. These are the partners that are outside of security but are critical to the success of our security operations function. We need to know what our asset inventory is and we've got to be best friends with our infrastructure service team, right? That's your sysadmins, your database admins, your network team. If we don't own identity management, we better be best friends with them, uh, including our, uh, our cloud identity infrastructure. We've got to know what's going on with our network and our firewalls and, and how traffic is moving and we've got to understand, uh, and this is, probably a little bit new. It's probably in the last couple of years. We've got to be best friends with our coding standards and our dev teams, mm. right? And I'll share one more story. Um, had my security plan, my whole program worked out, very proud, and then had them come and say, hey, we're moving these applications over to Google Public Cloud and just blew up my security controls. And so when we're talking about this partnership, this is critical. So had they already moved it and then they told you after the fact? Because that's what normally happens. <laughs> Don't be bitter, Kip. <laughs> there was no sensitive data in the public cloud. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so the common partnerships that we're going to see uh, from this incident response and operations team, uh, we're going to build that partnership with software dev, with our SITS admins, our cloud team, uh, and then I think we've got to take on what happens in case of breach, right? And we've been careful not to use that word. And I want to remind you as a security professional, do not use the word breach unless your lawyer has called it a breach. Mm. Until such time, it is an event or it is a security uh, incident. security incident. But it is not a breach until your lawyer calls it that. Uh, with that said, some of your key relationships are going to be with legal and with media relations. Yes. The reason why is you, by some regulations, may have 72 hours before you tell the public. It will come up in a class action lawsuit when you knew about it and what you did about it. And so the reason you have to be careful about language is there are consequences. It matters. The moment your security professional calls it a breach, the clock starts ticking if it's, if it's done in email. Right. And if you or, don't have legal representation on your team, then be looking at your boss. Indeed. Indeed. So now let's go into uh, some of the partners you're going to want to have in that scenario. Right. Your, your corporate communications team is going to be critical. You're not going to want to talk to the press. You're dealing with the problem, but you need a media relations function. Uh, you've got to figure out how you're going to do your digital forensics. Are you going to do it or is someone else going to do it? Because that deposition is going to be hard later. Right. You're going to want to have friends uh, with law enforcement, uh, with your regulators, and with your board of directors. And uh, Steve, you asked a really interesting question just before the show. Uh, it's stuck in my head, so I'm, I'm going to throw it out here and, and see if maybe you can help us answer this, right? Uh, if, if you're in experiencing a real breach, who do you call first? 
<laughs> mm. Like we've got an interesting list of five choices there. Who do I, uh, I, I've confirmed, I have an event that's confirmed as an incident. I have an active uh, exploit happening in my environment with a threat actor that's identified what, uh, and I can see that they have removed at least some data. Who do I call first? I think the first thing I want to do is, is be conscious of protecting the customer and the company. So law enforcement is a great resource to collaborate with. Um, you then, you know, are going to reach out to leadership and, and leadership is going to reach out depending on severity if, if it's going to have a breach on the entire brand, then they're going to reach up to the board level. Now, once you've notified the leadership, the leadership is going to make a decision that if as soon as they confirm that it is no longer an incident, that it is now, let's say the word breach, then they typically will go out and notify the regulators and the general public in rapid succession. Oh, by the way, while all of this is going on, you know, Kip told his wife, who told his sister, who told a reporter, and now you're getting phone calls. And so, you know, this, this time sequencing is, could be just blown up by something like that. It's very difficult. And what's yeah. worse is his brother, sister's cousin's nephew actually <laughs> sold some of the stock before it got out. <laughs> and then my niece actually sold us the tool that broke that caused, anyway. Um, you know, if you're not a large enterprise, this, you know, everything we just said probably isn't going to work. You don't have these people <laughs> just sitting around waiting to do all this stuff for you. So if you're working in a mid-sized or a small size uh, company, what I tell my customers is, is you need a really great cyber liability insurance policy that has a 24 seven hotline to a date to a data breach coach. And then you call them up and you say, this is what's going on. What do we do? The data breach coach is usually an attorney with lots of experience in this sort of thing. And the insurance company will send data forensics people. They'll send incident responders. They'll contact law enforcement. They'll put attorneys on the case. No medium-sized or small business can do that for themselves in any economic quick way. So that's, that's what I counsel our customers in those uh, size of companies. And most large companies do the same thing. They go to outside expertise, proving due diligence uh, for all of that. So, yes, this, this is something that is better done with a plan than in a crisis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't make it up as you go along. You will make big mistakes. And that's what the tabletop exercise is for. Yeah. Do the tabletops ahead of time. All right, friends, yep. we're going to keep moving here. Uh, right foot on the gas pedal. Uh, we're going to move into a quick understanding of the sizing of these organizations. You can see in the, in the deep blue on these diagrams uh, that- uh, Oh, I thought they were eye charts. They're diagrams? Uh, well, <laughs> and that's a little bit of what it is right now because uh, we did this in episode 33. So I don't want to take it and, and redo it here as much as well just kind of recognize, uh, wave to it, and then we'll keep moving. Okay. Uh, about 40% of a large organization is, uh, of headcount is in the security operations function. And the majority of those security operations headcount are going to go to the SOC, identity management, and your incident response team. 
that's where the heads are going to be. And that's, that's a great place to, to find work. If you're looking for identity uh, or, or uh, security analyst, uh, technical analyst roles, that's a great place to get started. I will also call out, yeah? I will also say that a lot of vendors offer those services. And so, mm. some, so some companies will do that internally. Some will go to manage, uh, you know, you're talking about a small company. A small company may hire a managed service company to do all their SOC work. Uh, some may people like we have customers that know we're expert in denial of service protection. So they outsource just that sliver to us. Um, so you can come to a vendor and get a security job focused in just denial of service protection. You can go to a, a provider that does MSSP and your SOC could be handling 15 different customers. There are some options here than just one company. Thank you. Good call out. Uh, and you're going to find the managed security service providers, the MSSPs, are, are uh, at least in the greater Seattle area, there, there are a lot of opportunities for those careers. Uh, those are not brand name companies in every case. Sometimes they're, they're the smaller shops. Uh, but keep your eyes open for MSSP SOC analyst roles. Okay, uh, the budget, right? The security operations budget is actually 45% of your security organization total uh, CapEx dollars. Uh, we did cover CapEx as your capital expenses. Uh, a lot of that is gonna go into your operating security tools because you've gotta buy licenses for your endpoint detection and response for your entire organization and licenses cost money, right? If we've also got an identity and access management infrastructure, uh, that's gonna cost a license fee as well. We're gonna see some of that licensing fees for our firewalls and for our other security tools, right? If we've got a governance risk compliance tool, a GRC tool in our environment or our SIM, uh, those are both gonna cost money and, and that's gonna come out of this, this budget. Uh, let's keep moving here on a 40% and a 45% swagger. There are uh, several different types of career opportunities. We've touched on it today. I want to I want to summarize here for you. Uh, senior positions in this organization are those that uh, senior technologists have been uh, doing their their sysadmin role for many many years, or network administrator, database administrator. Uh, maybe they're developers and and they do deployment or automation. Maybe they've been in uh, technical deployment teams for some time. Uh, uh, You've also got senior opportunities in, in as a SOC lead or as an incident responder. Uh, a lot of opportunities for a senior individual contributor professional uh, in this part of the organization. Additionally, this is the great place to get started with the SOC analyst, the SOC lead, the security analyst, uh, a forensics analyst. And I know we talked a little bit about that. So uh, if you're trained in digital forensics, it's a fun place to be. Uh, We've got your, your sysadmins because you can be a senior or a junior sysadmin and have an opportunity and a career in this part of security. Uh, automation developers, uh, we saw continuous delivery, continuous integration. Uh, that continuous development is critical in your security team as well. We need to lead the way in what a delivery pipeline looks like and how we secure it uh, because you've got to eat your own dog food. Uh, I do want to highlight something here that this is a great sample. These are, these are the right terms to go out and look for. But ultimately, it is your responsibility to go out on Monster or Indeed or Dice or whatever you want. Look for jobs 
find the jobs that sound interesting to you, read the skill set you need to get that job, and start working on those skills. You're the only one that's responsible for your, for your next job. Go find that job and make yourself into that person. Definitely. <clears throat> and pay close attention to what that job description says that they want. It's a wish list, right? But it's the best thing you've got going for you. And don't value the uh, opinions of you know, somebody working at a different company uh, over what you see in that job posting. Be careful. And, and I will tell you that this came out recently from our HR. You know, men tend to apply for jobs they're underqualified for. Um, you know, if apply for the job, have a discussion, sell yourself, talk about what your value proposition is. Don't walk away from any opportunity that you're passionate about. Definitely. I'm not, I don't need you as a hiring manager. I don't need you to have a hundred percent of the skills on the job description. I need you to get somewhere in that 80% range and have an amazing, enthusiastic attitude. And we've talked about this quite a bit in previous episodes. So uh, check yeah. the back, check the list of back episodes and you'll, you'll see a lot of good stuff on this. But Steve won't be there. And so it might not be as much fun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. But I do want to give Steve the last word, right? Steve has been a, a friend of mine for many years. I respect him highly and his his contributions both to the security world and, and to my life as we sit at lunch and we have great conversations about how would you handle this? How do you handle that? And so, uh, Steve, can you tell us what have been the keys to your success? And uh, uh, some of these other questions you see on the screen here, help us out. What 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 wisdom have you got for us? I have a little book of rules that I live by, and I'll share a couple rules that I think are really relevant to this first question. My success, um, never walk by a problem. If you're in security, when you see a problem, you need to stop, address it, remediate it. Uh, our job in security is not to get rid of you know, risk. It is to make sure leadership is aware of the risks they've accepted. And at a minimum, you have to do that. The second is security is a team sport. Mm. Uh, come in here, collaborate, share, um, you know, be, be a teammate. Be somebody that's making the company stronger and safer. Um, so I'll, I'll transition to the second question. Um, you know, what would I say to somebody just coming into the field? <sighs> I generally want to talk about your first job and your last job. So your first job, you're going you're gonna to do better if you do something you're passionate about, excited to go to work. Um, you may want to make more money and do something else. That, that's your decision. But generally speaking, I bucket into the three things. You're going to do something around governance, risk, and compliance. You're going to do the paperwork. You're going to make sure that the PCI rules to accept credit cards are followed, and, and you're going to make the company safe. The next thing you're going to do is some analytical work. You're going to look at data to see what's happening real time or forensically to prove what happened, but you're doing some kind of analytical work, be it threat intelligence, SOC operation, incident response, forensic, something like that. And then that last bucket is you're going to build things. You're going to build the tools that actually protect the company. And so you pick one of those buckets 
develop the skill sets in there, and I think generally track your career inside that bucket. The second thing I want to talk about is your last job, because you're going to have to make decisions along the way about what's the next opportunity. You can either just accept whatever is given to you, or you can kind of say, is that job going to get me where I want to get? And maybe turn down this job and, and, and try to lean into something else. So I call this your North Star. Mm. Is your North Star that your last job is you want to be the CISO? Do you want to be the CEO of your own cyber company? Or do you want to be the CTO focused on technology? And once you pick that North Star, and there may be a different North Star, that's fine. But then you can kind of map your career out and say, if I want to be a CTO, I don't want this manager job. The company wants me to be a manager, but I want to go be a senior tech fellow next. And, and how do I do that? So those would be the kind of the, the two first and last things that I like to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Uh, one of my jobs, uh, if I was on a penetration testing team, is probably more around social engineering. And, and that's probably going to be reflected in my answer here. Never go into a discussion without mapping out the outcome. Mm. Understand what they're going to say, how you're going to respond. Have that discussion in a format that you're going to get the results you want. Map it out, go in, have the discussion, lead them to the decision you want, and and walk away successful. Um, And I, I think that's just something that's a skill I don't consider it manipulation. I just consider it good communication. <laughs> that's Possibly planning, salesmanship. That's, <laughs> that's the planning. That's the emotional intelligence, the EQ that we've talked about in other episodes. Another way to say it, and I love it. Thank you. All right, folks, that brings us to some key takeaways for today. And I think the, there are two, the two of them are listed up here. One is security operations is a great place for a senior technologist to transfer in we're a junior technologist to get a start in security. Uh, this is an excellent place to get started, right? Uh, and the second, the second key takeaway, which maybe should have been the first, is security operations is where security happens in real life. This is your IRL of security. Uh, and uh, if you get a chance to spend some time here, it's a great place to be. Uh, for our next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the job transition that I've made in the last couple of months. And so uh, we'll get a chance to do that uh, in two weeks. I hope you'll join us. Oh, yep. that's going to be a good one, Wes. I really appreciate your willingness to share uh, with our audience you know, what your your personal journey has been and what's. Uh, hopefully, you're going to tell us what worked and what didn't work. If there was anything that didn't that didn't work, you know, I believe the phrase you used was "eat your own dog food." <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, I cool. Think, I think you're supposed to say "drink your own champagne." Oh, well, (laughs) I'd prefer champagne to dog food, so I'm good with that. Uh, Well, listen, uh, thank you, Steve, for being here. Let's wrap this up. Hey, listen, if you like what we're doing uh, with these episodes, then I just want to let you know about a free resource that we put together that you can get your hands on. Uh, It's called Play to Win, Getting Your Dream Cybersecurity Job. And you can kind of see a screen capture of pages six and seven here on your slide. And, uh, 
if you if you want to get it, what it does is it describes how you can take a capture the flag approach to uh, to to competing and winning in your job hunt. It's, it's about 20 pages, very, very visual. Um, and it talks about blockers and how you can overcome those blockers. If you want to go grab a copy, just go to yourcyberpath.com forward slash PDF. It's right there on your screen. Well, listen, that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging in there with us. This is kind of a long episode, full of good stuff, I think. So uh, remember, you're just one path away from your dream cybersecurity job. We'll see you next time.